one of you is the monster. Monster? They're British, you know. Hello, I'm Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. And we are a very British horror. And this is a special episode. Paul, why is this a special episode? This is a special episode because we are chatting to um, actor Robert Lloyd Parry. Yeah, welcome, Robert. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. It's an honour to have you. <laughs> so, so um, Robert, uh, the, the reason I'm so pleased and so delighted that you're on the show is because of the MR James project. That This is a long-running long project of, of, of yours, um, I think, built around performances of MR James um, uh, ghost stories, um, but you've also done documentaries. You've edited a collection of uh, ghost stories related to James, haven't you? So... Um, I, I think I'd like to begin by asking you, how did this project get started? Yes, well, I mean, when it got, you know, the the, the name, the kind of the umbrella name, the Emma Jones Project, is a relatively recent thing that has come to cover all the different kind of activities I've done, which it, they, they all really stem from um, an enjoyment of Emma James's ghost stories when I was about 13 years old. Um, yeah, early teens, um, I was a fan of Sherlock Holmes. I played Dungeons and Dragons. Then later on, played Call of Cthulhu. Um, I was into the kind of the genre, but also the period, the kind of the late Victorian Edwardian period. Um, and when I read Emma James, it just that, that fitted in with all that. I enjoyed them greatly. But at the time, they didn't particularly stick with me. So you now fast forward to the, when I was about 30, it was in the year 2000, I got a job at the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge in the education department there. And um, after I'd been there a few years, I, I discovered that M.R. James had been the director of the museum in the years leading up to World War One. And so I kind of, um, I, I got out my old copy, but I probably hadn't read in 10, 15 years. And um, it was on reading Canon Albic's scrapbook again, which is always the first in the collection. It was the, the first one he wrote. I was just transported back well, A, to the, me and, you know, the early 1980s, enjoying it so very much, but also to the, um, the world in which it's set, the vivid, the vivid, realistic, but also impossible world in which it's set. Um, and at about the same time, they, there was an exhibition at the Fitzwilliam Museum of all the medieval manuscripts in Cambridge collections. And I discovered what I didn't know at the time for our first reading, Amarim's, that are, as well as writing ghost stories, he was a a very, very highly reputed scholar of medieval um, history and particularly the, the manuscripts. And so I kind of persuaded the, well, it, didn't, it took very little persuasion. The, um, the curator of the exhibition agreed that it would be a good thing to perform a couple of his stories in what had been his old office at the museum, which is called the Founders Library, which is this magnificent Victorian book-lined library just in the heart of the museum. And... Um, and so that was the beginning of what <laughs> I now dub the, the MR James project. Um, and that was in, back in 2005. So that has kind of ballooned since then and gone on far longer than I've expected it would at the time. But um, I still feel there's, there's more to be done. There is unfinished business. That's brilliant. Sorry, that I, was, brilliant. I was grinning away while you were saying that because um, I, I don't know exactly about Chris's introduction to MR James, but I had a very similar introduction. So I I, I was slowly getting into a lot of this sort of thing. Um, I mm. did uh, 
I did, did Dungeons and Dragons and then and then a Call, Call of Cthulhu role playing game a lot later. Yeah. Um, and so so I, I sort of veered towards we started getting into the Hammer films, which is where this podcast stems from, really, is Chris and uh-huh. his love of Hammer films. Yeah. Um, and, and I discovered, I think it was in our local library in there, uh, the, the books for sale section was a hard cover of M.R. James um, stories. And I can't remember what it was called now. But yeah. It wasn't one of the actual um, collections. It was, um, it was a mix of different things. And, and, and I was grinning because a bit like you, I, I, I read them, but they didn't necessarily stick with me at that point either. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and that must have been, I think I must have been that sort of 15, 16 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's um, I, I, a lot of, you know, I've met an awful lot of people, admirers of Emma James, kind of since I've been doing this. And um, generally, it's the case that people, people get hooked when they're kind of in their early teens, I think. Mm. And of course, another way that this wasn't what hooked me, but a lot of thing that a thing that did hook a lot of people is the, the BBC ghost stories for Christmas. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was yeah. I was just a little too young to have seen them first time round. But um, yeah. people, you know, born in the 60s who saw them when they were about 12 were absolutely enthralled by them. Um, that and understandably, the, I think. That, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't born in, in, in the 60s, but, but they did repeat them occasionally yeah. on Christmas Eve, late on BBC yeah. Two. And I, I, th- I think I, I saw um, one, one, one or two at that impressionable age. But I also mm. think that um, the stories are so good that um, if, you come, if you come back to them, there's more to see in them. Oh, gosh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, yeah, so they, 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 oh, no, I, I, I see. I mean, even one, you know, the two that I first started performing and committed to memory 15 years ago, Canal Arbonic Scrapbook and the Metzotin, I still find new things to enjoy in them. I think they are very, very rich stories. And I think, you know, he, had, he, he was a very special writer. Have you got a favorite? Well, people always ask me that, and I, and I feel it's a bit, you know. <laughs> I kind of hesitate to answer. Um, I suppose I've got two favourites of, of different types. The um, my favourite, the kind of the one that's closest to my heart, because I think it was the first I read and the first I learned is Canon Albrick scrapbook. Um, and in a way, I I, I find that perfect or a, a perfect example of an M.R. James story. Um, and it's, it's just got everything in it that I like about him. My favourite in terms of thinking it's the best. Probably, I'd just about have to say a warning to the curious. I think that has that has more more bite than um his other stories. That's a, a later one, isn't it? Um, it is later, yeah. So that's nineteen twenties, actually. Yeah, that is, that that's one of my favourites as well. Um, just getting back to what you were saying about um, learning the the stories, yeah. I think it's quite it's quite obvious from when you perform the the, the stories that. That you, you you know them backwards. Is that is that the case? That you know, the, well, you know, all the ones all the ones that I perform on stage by candlelight in costume. I I have I yeah. committed to memory, and that's why I do get a bit grumpy still, even though it's a losing battle when people call them readings, and they're clearly not reading. I do do readings as well. Where I I am reading from a script that's in front of me, but um, the ones that I do in theatres are not readings. Yeah, um, no, I. That, Forgive me for yeah. not being able to co- to cover the <laughs> irritation in my voice, but um, oh, I mean, all the time. We watched you do the reading of Call of the Cthulhu, mm. um, and that was a reading. Yeah, so yeah, that, that and that, that was very different. You had had it in front of you. Um, yeah, 
and and it, you, you can tell the difference between doing that as a reading than when you're doing the mr james stories where which is much more of a performance yeah um, yeah and and i just want to say with the cthulhu call of cthulhu i i, I was very impressed at your pronunciation of some uh, of the more difficult words <laughs> in that yeah, story yeah. Well, I, I, I consulted a couple of um, people I thought would know about that, and I, I couldn't find any consensus. So in the end, I just kind of came up with my own. And, uh, yeah, I, oh, gosh, I, I, it slipped my memory now, but for a few days afterwards, I was able to kind of repeat it to myself. And it was, it's quite a kind of good mantra, really. You know? <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, I guess the word, the word, the word I, 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 I'd use... I don't know if you agree with it. Is is, is it monologue? Is, is, yeah, is that... yeah. I mean, like, there are monologues, and and yeah. you know that, that that reflects the way that almost all of them were written to read aloud to friends. And the you know the narrator, who's clearly yeah. M.R. James, but not M.R. James. He's he's you know, he's an M.R. James-like character who inhabits a world in which demons exist and witches are real and so on. And he has a very distinct narrative voice, so it is a monologue. You can you know there's a definite character talking to the audience in that and this is an audience it's not, you know you, you you can tell i think when you're reading them that in, in many cases you can tell that they were written to be heard rather than read on the page do you think that's one of the, the things that makes these stories so enduring it quite possibly is um i mean i, I, I must say as time has gone on with the more i've done um, I have adapted them more and more. Um, so I feel I'm, I'm not perhaps being entirely um, honest when I say that, you know, that they, they, they are naturally oral oral productions. But um, still, I think the pacing of them um, and the, the use of different characters and the, the, the sparing use of dialogue, but the kind of quite effective use of dialogue does all betray kind of the... the, the the oral background that they have, the fact that he read them um, to friends um, in an informal setting, usually at Christmas for the first time. Um, and I think that's certainly why, the, why they've, yeah, it's not the only reason they've endured, but perhaps the pacing of them, which is one of the masterful things about them, does have its kind of, does draw its strength in the fact that they were written to hold the attention of an audience who could be distracted rather than a readership who you might expect to put down a book at any moment anyway. Well, and you mentioned <laughs> that they were um, that, that, that they were read to friends at Christmas, and you've researched that extensively, haven't you, the, uh, the chit-chat club? Well, yes, now, okay, yeah, I have. I'll just distinguish between the chit-chat club and the Christmas readings. Okay. Chit-chat club, he, he, in fact, the first two stories that we know he wrote, the first two that were published in magazines, Canon Albrecht Stratbook and Lost Hearts were definitely read aloud to the Chit Chat Club on the, the 28th of October, 1893, in his rooms in King's College. Now, thereafter, the Chit Chat Club, he, he didn't read them to the Chit Chat Club all the time. That's the only time he read ghost stories to the Chit Chat Club. Thereafter, it became, as he kind of became a senior member of King's College, um, he was eventually the provost, which meant he had a lovely set of rooms. At Christmas, he would um, invite old school friends and fellow bachelor dons, people who didn't have families to go home to at Christmas. He'd invite them to spend Christmas Eve 
and even, you know, the days leading up to it, staying in King's College, which one of them said was like a well-appointed gentleman's club. Um, and they'd dine in hall, they'd um, go to the chapel, listen to the, the choir sing, they'd have fun and games in M.R. James's rooms, in other people's rooms. And part of the, um, the festivities, he was him reading one or maybe even two ghost stories, and other people reading ghost stories as well. So, for instance, we know that in 1903, he read Whistle and I'll Come to You and Number 13. Um, and I think it's thought he'd written Number 13 before, so perhaps he was kind of doing that as a repeat um, by popular acclaim. But I think that was probably the first time he read Whistle and I'll Come to You out loud. Um, it's not entirely certain. We don't have dates of when all the others were kind of premiered, so to speak. But it seems that it was certainly for friends and usually at Christmas that he he wrote his stories. Um, as, and the Chit Chat Club, you know, that was the first time. But um, it's not quite right to say that he he wrote them for the Chit Chat Club at Christmas. That's a kind of misunderstanding <laughs> that won't bother many people but, but me, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough so um you did a collection you've, you've edited a collection of of ghost stories which you've called ghosts of the chit chat so yeah so so, so i guess focusing on on, on that then <laughs> um so so, so are, are any of the other stories you know up to the same level as, as james is, is there a whole like uh is a whole band of, of ghost story writers that I should be reading from, from, from that period? There are, yes. Um, I don't think they're necessarily the ones that you'll find in, in Ghosts of the Chit Chat. Um, apart, I mean, the, the, the most, basically the, the, the premise behind Ghosts of the Chit Chat is that it's, it's ghosts written by people who were members of the Chit Chat Club. The Chit Chat Club or Chit Chat Society, it was interchangeable, mm. was an undergraduate society in Cambridge that met every Saturday during term time um, founded in 1860-odd, it kind of fizzled away in late 1890s. And they'd meet every week during term time, and one of them would read a paper on any topic that might provoke interesting discussion, and then they'd discuss it, and they'd take snuff and have a glass of wine. And it was, a, you know, it was a, a slightly intellectual social club, really. But often ex-public school boys had kind of made their way to Cambridge. Um, and M.R. James um, kind of... He, he, he kind of, in, in the latter half of its existence, he, carried, he was its de facto leader, really. He was kind of like, he was the driving force behind it. And there were other members during his time who later in life, usually later in life or even as undergraduates, did write literature of a supernatural bent. And um, so the Ghost of the Chit Chat is an anthology of stories, in, one, in a couple of cases, poems by people who had been members of the Chit Chat Club. Now, the only really distinguished writer of ghost stories, apart from M.R. James, is E.F. Benson. Um, the others, well, A.C., so E.F. Benson had two brothers, Arthur Benson and Robert Benson. They also both wrote, wrote, both wrote ghost stories. I think you, Arthur Benson's a, a pretty effective. The one in the, the book by Arthur Benson is, is one of his best. Um, the others are perhaps kind of, you know, minor works, works of interest or works of interest for the, the light that they shine upon M.R. James's friendships and so on. However, the sequel, which I'm working upon, which is going to go wider than the Chit Chat Club, is going to be ghost stories by people who knew M.R. James at Cambridge or associated with at Cambridge. And in that, you'll find, um, I think, a much kind of, a much better quality crop 
of stories. I'm, I'm working on it at the moment. Hopefully, uh, it'll be out, uh, out for the next Christmas. Sounds amazing. Yeah, the, the, there are plenty of people, plenty of contemporaries of Emma James who are who are worth reading. Um, almost all of them were influenced by him. Um, whereas I think E.F. Benson wasn't necessarily. There's a story. The story that I included in Ghosts of the Chit Chat um, is called The Other Bed, and it's clearly a response of some kind to A Wish Now Come To. It's based on the same premise of a man in a twin-bedded room in a hotel um, experiencing some unspeakable horror in the middle of the night. Um, but apart from that, I think E.F. Benson, he, sta he stands independently of M.R. James. Um, he wasn't overly influenced by him, at least in his ghost stories. Um, whereas people who, who will appear in this sequel, people like E.G. Swain and Richard Molden, um, uh, and Arthur Gray um, were people who were very much kind of, you know, were influenced by the antiquarian ghost story that Emma James pioneered. So, so I do have feel to... free to tell me when to shut up. No, 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 that, that, it, it's, 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 it's amazing stuff. I have read um, to me, E.F. Benson. Um, the, yeah. The Room in the Tower is a fantastic story. <laughs> really, um, so, so so yeah, he, he he's he's really really good. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about ghost stories subsequently being influenced by James. But he because he, he's such a, a a towering presence over the English ghost story. I, mean, I think that's still true almost to this day, isn't it? Um, that I mean, not every ghost story, but but he, there's still a strand no. of them that's very influenced by James. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think even ones that aren't obviously, I mean, you know, I think, you know, contemporary writers of, of horror will all, you know, raise their catcher on our James. Um, they'll all have read him. You know, they, <laughs> in some cases, maybe in many cases, he may have been the reason they got into that kind of thing in the first place, even if they haven't kind of, you know, stayed within the exactly the same kind of literary tradition as him. Um, but yeah, no, very influential. I mean, well, I mean, so, I mean, you know, Ramsey Campbell is probably the, the most well-known, most prominent writer of horror in England today. And he, he's, um, you know, he's, he admits his indebtedness to M.R. James. He's, he's a great expert on M.R. James. Um, Adam Neville, I know, is um, a great admirer of M.R. James. Yeah, no, I, I, think he, I think he looms very large. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure you're you're right, and we're big fans of Ramsey Campbell, particularly. I, I, I was I was also thinking of um, um, Susan Hill and and yeah, the, the woman in black. Absolutely, <laughs> the woman in black. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, ha the Hammer stuff. You know, you said you. Oh yeah, yeah. you were yeah. inspired by. It. I, I'm not sure whether there's that much connection. That's more kind of Dracula and Frankenstein, isn't it? That that comes from. But um. Did Hammer ever make an M.R. James inspired film? No. Can you think of one, Chris? I can't really think of any. No, no. is it interesting that the, 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 the ghost stories for Christmas um, um, ran kind of at the end of the, the Hammer period, but they were a very different thing? Uh, very but, different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I can't think that the Hammer particularly made, they're kind of gothic, gothic action exactly. fantasies aren't they they're, exactly they're, yeah. yeah well they were designed, kind of, designed, know, designed to shock the, weren't they the, there's not much space in mr james stories to have girls with large breasts for instance <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely true it's not really that many girls at all are there no there aren't mr <laughs> james stories 
well, ref reflecting the um, ref reflecting his existence, which was which was pretty male, wasn't yes. it? <laughs> oh, it's absolutely it was. It was. Yeah, yeah. He 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 was. You know, he was a bachelor, and his stories were, as I say, you know, the, these gatherings at which he read his stories were all male. They they were absolutely you know men only. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, having said that, you know, that there were significant. Women. He never. He was never, as far as we know, romantically involved with any women. But uh, the, you know, his um, his closest kind of um, relationship with a woman was probably to the widow of his great friend James McBride. James McBride was um, a younger kind of um, friend of his who he met at King's Cambridge, uh, with whom he travelled to France and to Scandinavia. And James McBride was a very good artist, and he illustrated the. Well, he began illustrating Abad Renji's first book of ghost stories, Ghost Stories in Antiquary, in 1904. But he died of abruptly of a burst appendix um, when he'd only completed four pictures. And he not only left um, his illustration job of the ghost stories unfinished, he left his newly wed wife pregnant with a, a baby that, of course, he, he never met. And M.R. James became the guardian of that baby, Jane. Um, and he, he, throughout his life, he kind of he, he maintained a close relationship with Jane and Gwendolyn, who is the, the, the widow of James McBride. Um, and in fact, Emma, it's probably less known to those who aren't kind of obsessive fans, is that Emma James wrote a, a children's novel called The Five Jars, which was written specifically for the entertainment of Jane McBride. Is it um, any good? Well, it's, it, that's a fair question. And, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want you to to snigger when I say it's not that good. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not that great. I mean, it's, it's all right. It's got, it's got qualities to it. I, I think it, it starts off well and then becomes rather tedious. And I have read it a couple of times, trying really quite hard to like it and <laughs> not quite succeeding. But, you know, it, it, it has charm. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why it's, it's, it's not become a children's classic. It's, it's not Alice in Wonderland and this... It's not C.S. Lewis, it's, um, and it's not Peter Pan. It's, I guess Peter Pan is the thing it's closest to. It's a fairy tale. Um, another thing Emma James did, I think probably for Jane McBride, was he, he translated Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales. And certainly there's kind of the influence of Hans Christian Andersen can be seen in the, in the five jars. But I wouldn't want to put, put off anyone from reading it. You know, there are people who, who, who speak very highly of it, just it. It's never, it's never quite tickled me in the way I'd like it to. I think James also edited a collection of Sheridan Lefanu's ghost stories. Oh, he did, yeah. Sheridan Lefanu, he, he was a great admirer of Sheridan Lefanu. He said, um, you know, he, he was quite often asked about who he admired in the ghost story genre, and he always cited Lefanu as his great hero, particularly stories, um, the familiar and... Green Tea, I think, were the two that he spoke of as being really very, you know, the, he spoke of them as being the best stories he'd ever read in, in the in the genre. Um, and you can kind of see the influence there on Emma James, but also Emma James is kind of... Sheridan Lefanu does sound very Victorian and, and is very, very verbose and quite hard to make your way through. Now, there are probably people who find that of M.R. James's prose today, but um, compared to Lefanu, he, he is he's a much lighter read, I, well, I find. 
I mean, I, I really like Lefanu because of Carmilla, not because of the ghost stories. Um, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but um, Carmilla's one that I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not ashamed, but I, I've never actually managed to make my way all the way through it. Um, oh, really? Oh, um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> because that obviously belongs to the, the, the that hammer, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. That the yeah. hammer did adapt that one. Um, yeah. But but um, but I think. For the, the, the ghost stories of Lefanu, the um I think the language does get in the way. I don't find them particularly creepy. I mean, I don't... Green, mm. green, well, green, green tea, tea. I've, I've got a great deal of time for green tea. It's such an interesting concept. And, um, yeah, I I, I, you know, I I don't think it's... No, I, I don't think the language is, for me, kind of makes it um, unpalatable. But um, it, it just kind of... It can. I mean, I've not read any of Lefou's novels. That you know, he wrote these multi-volume novels, and I just, I've not even started. I'm afraid. I just, don't, you know, <laughs> oh, there, was, <laughs> I, I, there was, uh yeah, Dark Angel, was it? Um, the, the, yeah, the Peter O'Toole in an adaption of it. I remember I, I did watch that years and years ago. But, but I don't yeah, know that one. I don't know. Um, it might be an adaption of uh, Uncle's. No, no, no I Uncle think Silas is is a famous novel. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Um, I'll have to. I'll have to. Uh, sorry, but I'm di- di- digressing happily. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah. I I know nothing about any of them because I haven't read any of this stuff. <laughs> Shame. Well, it's, it's worth having a look. Seriously. Yeah. Look, look at Green Tea. Yeah. It's such an unusual and original story. I'm going to revisit um, it. I'm going to revisit it. Because <laughs> um, I, I think that's the same collection as Carmilla in in a glass is, yeah. darkly yeah. through a gla- in a glass darkly or through a glass darkly, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And the familiar is in there as well, which is worth reading. And I think in the familiar, you can see some of the, you can see some of the um, I know, elements that you find later in M.R. James in Warnings of the Curious and so on, the kind of the, the haunted figure, haunted by his conscience as much as by anything, anything supernatural. Well, great. I'm going to dig, dig that out. But um, I think go, going Going back um, <laughs> a little bit more on topic, maybe. Um, uh, um, so, so uh, you 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 played M M R James in a Mark Gatiss documentary. Uh, That's right. Yes. Yes. So, so um, when was that? Because Mark Gatiss, he's now made three, I think. One of which is showing this Christmas. Mm, the Messertint. The Messertint this Christmas, but his first one was it was Tractate Middles, wasn't it? Yes. And, um, so that was kind of part of the the rebooting of the Ghost Stories of Christmas. There'd been a couple before that. But um, Mark Gatiss, at the same time as making Tragic Mid-Off, he, I mean, gosh, he, he, he carries such weight at the BBC that they they gave him the Ghost Story Christmas and allowed him to make a, a documentary about M.R. James. And anyway, when I got wind of that, I heard from a, a contact in the Fitzwilliam Museum that BBC was making a documentary about M.R. James. And by that time, I'd done a lot of research myself and I'd done a few of these shows. And so I wrote to the, I found the name, I wrote to the producer and said, you know, offering to be a researcher. I, I was rather fancy being a researcher on documentaries. Uh, and he wrote back and said, in fact, Mark had seen one of my DVDs and, um, and had wanted, and wanted me to play the part of M.R. James in it. So of course I was delighted yeah. with that. And um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's yes. a good documentary. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's very well made and, you know, it, it's a very good, very good telling of his life, I think. Um, and so, yeah, it was interspersed with um, 
with kind of um, scenes of a, a chit-chat club-like event with kind of um, Cambridge men around in a candlelit room. And um, yeah, and so I, I kind of, um, it, was, it was all filmed in an afternoon. It was done very quickly. But yeah, no, I, I, was, I was very grateful for that. Very impressed by the documentary and just grateful for the exposure that it gave me. You know, people do remember it fondly to this day. And it gets repeated fairly often as well. Well, I think that's where, that's certainly probably where I first became aware of you. Um, yes, really. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's probably true of many. That, that and the, um, another, another podcast, which you're probably familiar with, the, um, the M.R. James podcast. You know, oh, the, yeah. Pod, podcast to the Curious. Podcast to the Curious. Course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they've done a lot to give me exposure over the years as well. So, yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful for any opportunity like that. But no, it was, it was a great thrill because I, I, it's the only television I've ever done. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting experience. I only met Mark Gatiss briefly. Um, you know, we kind of had lunch together and, uh, and then he, he had to go off. I seem to remember he had to go off to catch a plane to the San Diego Comic Con or something like oh, that. Fair enough, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> something glamorous. Um, <laughs> um. So, so you, you've made some really excellent documentaries of, of your your own um, so, uh, about James. How, how did how did that come about? And are you planning any more? Yes, well, I am planning more. Um, how did it come about? Eek. I can't remember. I um, oh, I mean, at a performance a few years ago, I was introduced to um, guy Christopher Tom, who's a kind of um, freelance filmmaker. And we just, we, you know, we, we got on and I think I'd had this idea about, I don't know, I mean, years ago, and you know, I, at the time I was very disappointed, but now I'm quite glad it didn't happen. Years ago, I, I, I wanted to write a, a biography of M.R. James, a book about him. And I, you know, I came up with a quite detailed synopsis and I got an agent, a very good agent interested um, and the agent simply wasn't able to, to sell it to any publishers. So it kind of, over the course of about one summer, kind of, I went from great optimism to rather, rather kind of deep um, despair about this thing never happening. But anyway, in the course of researching that and, you know, coming up with chapter synopses, I came up with various kind of things that I thought, various bits of research that I, I thought were really worth pursuing in some way and one of them is about mr james's times in felixstowe the, the which is where wish and i'll come to you is set and uh, the way that he would stay in a particular house in felixstowe and the other people who would stay there and what kind of um connections that had with um not perhaps with the plot of the story but with elements of the story with kind of um themes and motifs in the story um and so i think it was just a result of talking to someone about this, probably directly to Christopher Tom himself, that we, you know, thought, oh, we could make a documentary, just a short 15-minute documentary as a kind of extra on a DVD. And then the more we went on with it, the kind of the more ambitious it got. And so it ended up being about, it's about 45 minutes long. It's called Wits in Felixstowe. And it's about, um, it's about the, the, the background to and the genesis of Wit and I'll Come to You, which is probably his most famous story, um, and particularly about a, a kind of, um, yeah, to call it a connection is even perhaps overstating it, but um, the second half of the documentary is about a, 
one of his friends, a close friend of his called um, J.K. Stephen, who died in particularly tragic circumstances, and how that was connected with the visits to Felixstowe that he and M.R. James both had. Um, the reason I'm kind of slightly being mealy-mouthed is because, you know, I encourage people to watch the documentary rather than listen to my summary of it now. So, 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 so I don't want to give spoilers away. I've seen, I've seen the documentary. Uh, yeah. I've seen it on the DVD, although I believe you can also see it on Amazon Prime. It's and on it, Amazon Prime, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I watched it on Amazon Prime um, when I knew we were going to be speaking to you. So. <laughs> and um, what I, I, I loved about it is because even though I thought I knew uh, about quite a lot about my James, I thought, but this was all completely new to me, the, the lodge that, that, that you yeah. mentioned, yeah. J.K. Stephen, who, uh, yeah, um, the, the, his story is absolutely fascinating, and I had no idea. <laughs> so um, it was it was such, um, because, you know, I, um, there's so many, like, like, James documentaries that are like, this is a retelling of his life, and this, but you've yeah. focused in on, 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 on like one one thing the, the whistle and it's all, all all new information to me and it but but mm. really interesting really kind of yeah I, I i recommend i too don't want to spoil it by talking about it anymore just to say yes i really uh, recommend recommend it and and you, you've made another one haven't, haven't you about warning to the or related that's right to another one called, it's called dim presences which is about warning to the curious which is his other kind of great suffolk coast story and, you know, Warning to the Curious and, and Whistle I Come to You probably is, well, two of his best known anyway, if it's not the two best known. And, um, yeah, and this is even, you know, the, having made um, Wits in Felixstone, me and Christopher Gunner, you know, felt we wanted to do something even more ambitious than that. So this is a full hour-long documentary with many different locations and um, kind of, you know, dealing rather with, with, with more themes than the other one did as well. Um, and again, I, it's on Amazon Prime. Unfortunately, I think you have to, if you're not a Prime subscriber, I think you have to, do you have to, even though, even you, if you're yeah. a Prime subscriber, you, you have to pay a little. It's only a couple yeah. of quid. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> or you could get it, because that's on your Warning to the Curious DVD as well. Isn't it, it is. It's on the DVD of Warning to the Curious. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, they were made as extras of DVDs, but um, in both cases, we got, um, we did Kickstarter campaigns to kind of, Get a bit of funding for it but it was done just with two of us you know christopher filming and editing and me kind of writing and presenting and so on so um yeah no i was very pleased with them and we are we do want to make at least one more there'll be a kind of another one which will be kind of the third in the trilogy and it'll be about in that it'll be about friends of mr james is about mr james traveling in in scandinavia because, um, of course, he wrote two of his great stories are based in Scandinavia. Number 13 is set in Denmark, and perhaps greatest of all, Count Magnus is set in Sweden. And um, there are just things to be said about, A, his travels in Denmark, and B, the details of those stories, I think, are, are worth saying, and I think would suit the documentary format quite well. Um, but then I'd also like to do a kind of um, a shorter interview-based um and I was kind of inspired to do this by watching a, re a really interesting documentary. Um, I think it was on iPlayer. I think it was a Storyville documentary about, oh, I can't remember his name now. There was a guy who um, hijacked a plane uh, yeah. 
in the 1970s and then jumped out of the back of it with loads of money. Yes. And they I never found that. who he was. And this kind of, you know, all, everyone comes up with different theories about who this guy was. And this documentary looked at about six different possible identities of this guy and concluded that we just don't know who he was. Well, I'd like to do that. But about Mr. Carswell from Casting the Runes. Oh, wow. <laughs> who was Mr. Carswell? Because different people have had different theories. Some of them absolutely up in cloud cuckoo land, sometimes more down to earth, <laughs> about whether Mr. Carswell was based on anyone. And I thought I'd like to interview some of the, the key Carswell theorists on that. Um, so, yes, they're the two that I've kind of got. Well, that sounds that sounds brilliant. Um, I didn't know there were lots of different theories. I hadn't ever thought about it. Um, no, I mean, there's not maybe not lots, not as many as about it, this guy. What's his name? That's, do you know who uh, I mean? The guy jumped out. The I point. do know who you mean. I was I was TB something. Yeah, I, I I know the one you mean. I was anyway. There's, there's enough. There's enough kind of identities, possible identifications of cars as well to make a, a short, slightly tongue-in-cheek documentary. I think it'll be like a Cooper. Netflix true crime sort of thing. That's it. So you say again? DB Cooper. Yeah, that's Cooper. It. That's it. It's a great story. Amazing story. So, um, cause I got, I got, I got the, the the DVD, and I also have seen you like, like we said uh, a couple of times virtually. I mean, because because of the pandemic, didn't have any any choice. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and you do quite a lot of performances over uh well I mean, my question says zoom but i don't think you use zoom anymore i think it's youtube live isn't it so so how do you, how do you find that are you going to keep doing that even in the post-pandemic world yeah well i will um i mean at the moment since the kind of end of october i since you know now that our, our rules in this country are relatively liberal about kind of gathering indoors you know theaters have been open and uh so I've been able to be back on the road and October to Christmas is always my busiest time. So I'm not going to have very much time. I'm going to do one. I'm going to do one on Christmas Eve. I'm going to do a ghost story for Christmas on Christmas Eve, number 13, which will be, a, I think, a nice thing. And um, you'll be able to, it, it won't clash with the Metzotin. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but yes, I think I, I will do. Um, I, I, I won't have time kind of until you know, early spring probably to to do anything more than the occasional one. But I've got a few ideas of kind of limited series I might do, um, particularly of other, of works, my other writers in the, the Am I James tradition. So yeah, I will. I, I intend to keep that up. Um, and, but it won't be anything. I mean, I, I when the first lockdown was announced in, in March, I just, I don't know why. I, well, I had the energy because it was such, it was, I was, you know, full of full of anxiety and nerves about what had happened because everything, you know, all the performances I had booked up for the year to come in one week were kind of, you know, cancelled. Anyway, I, I threw myself into doing, and at the beginning I was doing like three a week. I was doing, I think I was doing Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays. I was doing a story on each of those nights a week, um, most of which can still be found on YouTube. But um I, I kind of couldn't keep that up because it required a lot of kind of preparation. But uh, I was going to ask about um, performing that way. Obviously, it's 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 very different to performing in front of an audience. I'd imagine. Um, well, yeah. I mean, 
I'm, I'm kind of finding out now quite what the differences are. And, um, it, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it is, I'm doing the same thing. In a way, it's more relaxing to do it uh, to do it to a webcam because, you know, you don't, you can't hear the, yeah. the coughs and the rustles and the phones going off. And the, you, 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 you can't see the person in the third row having a word with their neighbour and whip, fear that they're saying, oh, shall we leave at the interval? And so, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, when you're doing a one-man show, which is directed at an audience, then, you know, you've got to realise that the, the one man is watching the audience as much as the audience is watching him. And, you know, there are all sorts of distractions that, that can kind of um, get, get under your concentration. But um, so in a way, I kind of, there was that pleasantness. But then equally, you didn't have the, the wonderful living vibrancy from an audience that you get as well, which is, which is what is one of the most enjoyable things about doing this kind of thing, is um, getting a, an, an audible, even if not an audible, it's just kind of just a, you know, atmospheric reaction from people in the room. So I think on the whole, I, I'd have to say I, I prefer doing it live, but um, doing it to the webcam, it wasn't second best. It was kind of, um, it was just different. Yeah. I mean, I, I really love the opportunity to, to see you live because I haven't done that yet. Uh, but um, so, well, Where do you live? Ah, now this is what I was coming to. This is what I was coming to. <laughs> so, 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 um, uh, so, so, Paul and I are both based in um, the southeast. Paul's in Surrey, and I'm in Sussex. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, so there. But I mean, we can get, <laughs> we can get to London. So, where are you touring? That's the question. Do you are you anywhere near Canterbury? Um, so, <laughs> it's about an hour's drive. An hour's drive. Yeah. 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 Well, Canterbury is a great place to to visit, though. Um, and between and this, now and Christmas, I think the closest to to the southeast is will be Canterbury, really. Um, yeah. So you can't. Yeah, you're not East Anglia. You're you're, you're, you're southeast. You're, you're south yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I did once. The, I did once. Uh, get a bit cross because I, I, I realised I'd missed a performance because um, I used to work at Queen Mary University in the East End of London and, oh, yeah. and I think you did a performance in it's, it's a really odd little sort of house just on on the sort of Mile End Whitechapel Road. Yeah, the, the weird hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't even know that was there and then I <laughs> found out that, that, that you'd performed there Literally a, a couple of days after you you'd done it, and I was a bit. Well, I, I used to yeah, I had a few there. Um, yeah, because I I used to live in Cambridge, so it was easy to kind of come down to to East London to do stuff. But, yeah, um, yeah, that, that no, well, that was an interesting gig because it was um very nice house, and the, the guy well, it was a boutique hotel, very boutique. Yeah. hotel. and um the guy the guy who runs it is a you know a, an acclaimed interior designer, so it was very interesting inside. <laughs> But you see, yeah. he just, he, um, I think when he, he did storytelling nights, and I wasn't the only kind of person who did stuff. I think at the beginning, at least, he was sponsored by some gin company. I think right. Hendrix Gin used to kind of sponsor him. Um, <laughs> but he'd, the point was, he called them bedtime stories, and you had to come wearing your pajamas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I would be, 
I'd be sitting on a chair at one end of the room with about <laughs> 40 grown-up men and women in their pyjamas <laughs> sitting on the floor in front of me <laughs> drinking gin. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was... Um, they, were, yeah, they, were, they were good nights, but I, I could never quite enjoy the evening in a way that the audience are enjoying No. <laughs> but but you, you, you're... Um... Uh, you, you t- you're touring all across the, the UK, isn't that right? I think you've just been to Edinburgh and you're, you're next off yeah. to Suffolk, is that right? Yes, off to Suffolk, a day after tomorrow, yeah. And uh, then um, Lincolnshire and then Cambridge and then where else? Oh, well, listen, I, I, can I direct you to my website or will that be done at the end? Oh, you, well, let's do it you, twice. You do it now. Let's do it twice. Yeah, yeah do, do it now. Okay, well, um, Nunkey, that's N-U-N-K-I-E dot co dot U-K, and go to the schedule page and you'll see all the, the dates. They're the dates leading up till Christmas and then there's some more to be put on in the new year, which I have yet, yet to come up and put up, yet to finalise. But, um, yeah, um, I'm at the point in the tour now, it's about three weeks into it, and I, you know, I'm kind of slightly forgetting where I am in a week's time. <laughs> well, I, I think Paul and I need to work out how to get how, how to get ourselves to Canterbury. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll tell you one thing I'm doing. If you say London is accessible, oh, yeah. this isn't up on the website yet. But one thing I'm doing in March in London, I'm doing two nights, and over two nights, I'm telling all eight stories from M.R. James's first collection, Ghost Stories of an Antiquary. Okay. I'm doing this amazing venue, bang in the middle of Bloomsbury, called the Horse Hospital. I, I know it well. Do you? Yeah. I okay, work so. in that area, so... Oh, I'm do you? Right. Okay. The Horse Hospital. So, so I'm at the yeah. Horse Hospital. Um, it's the latter half of March. I can't remember the dates exactly off the top of my head. But that'll be a kind of eight-story marathon over two nights. And um, tickets of that are on sale at the moment on event night. Um, and that's a real undertaking for you. I mean, <laughs> do, do, yeah. do, doing the whole book over two it's, Well, it is. It is, you see. But it was only last year when I... I no, only two years ago when I, find, I realised that I'd finally um, memorised the, the last of... So I, na- I now know off my heart, you know, I've committed to memory all the stories, the first eight stories in Ghost Stories and Antiquary. And they're all great stories. They're all classics. Um, yeah, very so true. Canon Lambert scrapbook, Lost Hearts, Mezzotint, Ash Tree, Number 13, Count Magnus, Whistle I'll Come to You, and The Treasure of Abbott Thomas. Oh, I love that one. Okay. I love all of those, but yeah, yeah tick- they are tick- all great. Wow. No, that, 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 yeah, no, that's, that's a very tempting proposition. Um, so, 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 uh, Robert, I think we should probably. I leave it there. I could talk all night, but you'd probably eventually get upset <laughs> with me. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, we should do that thing though. Of um, you, you've plugged your website. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Um, well, I, 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 when is this going out, Paul? That's up to you. <laughs> um, it, it's probably going to be our next episode. So I'd say within the next week or two. Okay, brilliant. Well, so Christmas Eve. Um, 7.30 uh, imagine you know transported back to 1903 when M.R. James told 
number 13 to his friends on Christmas Eve. Um, it, I, you have to register. It's a, it's, a, it's a YouTube live performance, but you need to register to be sent the link. It's on pay what you can. And that's literally true. If, you're, if you can't afford much, you can pay a penny. It's pay what you can, and um, it'll, be, well, it'll be beautiful. Christmas Eve, 7.30, perfect start to the festive season. You can then have a bit, bite to eat, watch the Mets of Tint on BBC later in the evening. No, that or is go to, or you don't have to watch the Mets of Tint, you can go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> watch the Mets of Tint on iPlayer later. Yeah. But anyway, the, 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 to find that, you need to go to my website, um, nunkey.co.uk forward slash schedule, and um, there's a link there to the Eventbrite page where you can register for a, a space. Spaces are unlimited because it's um, on YouTube. Brilliant. And I'd also like to say, I'd also like to say, while, while you're on that website, have a look at the DVDs because I I did and, and I picked up the uh, the Whistle and I'll Come to You DVD and it's it's got uh, your performance of Whistle and I'll Come to You. It's got that documentary we talked about. It's also got a rehearsed reading of Rats on it. So that's, that's pretty good. Ra- that's pretty good value. And there's yeah, yeah. quite a few DVDs like that. So, yeah, so yeah. that's another way <laughs> to, to, to see right. your action. <laughs> it, is, it is. The only thing I will say, <laughs> the only reason I didn't mention that, but this is always, I'm glad you did. But um, the thing is, if you want one of them in time for Christmas, then you've got to order it tomorrow night. <laughs> and by the time this comes out, this will have been last week. Because yes. um, I'm on the road from Thursday and won't be able to post so, these DVDs. Yes. Yeah, so so I'm, 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 unfortunately, then this will be for 2022, but it'll be worth exactly. the wait. <laughs> Lovely New Year yeah. gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm out of questions. Paul, have you got anything? I don't have anything else at the minute, no. Fantastic. Well, well, all that remains to do then is to say, Robert, thank you ever so much for appearing on our podcast. We really do appreciate it. It's been fantastic to talk to you. And, um, yeah, uh, I really look forward to, to, to seeing you live. Thank it's you very much. It's pleasure. Yeah. Cheerio. Nice to speak to you. Big thank you to Robert Lloyd Parry. If you want to contact us, then you can contact us on Facebook, where we're at Very British Horror, on Twitter, where we're at Very Brit Horror, or by email, where we're at Very British Horror at gmail.com. Thanks. Bye.